So I want to uh, talk today practically about our response and um, biblically, how do we approach money, how do we approach things like this, and um, don't turn to your neighbour and say, oh no, it's a giving preach, because it's exciting. You know, the thing is, we're born into this world with a need to get, aren't we? We're born just to consume, just to absorb, that's what babies do, and there's a journey that we go on, but very often that journey takes a little while, and there's a lie that we believe, which is, as far as provision goes and finance, I'm on my own. I've just got to make it happen. I've just got to work it out. I am on my own. I heard a story of a, a guy called Ted who bought a donkey from a farmer. And he bought this donkey for 100 quid and he went to the farmer. And uh, the farmer turned up the next day and said, I've got a problem. The donkey has died. And uh, Ted's like, oh, shame, but I'll, I'll just have him 100 quid back then. He's like, well, slight problem. I've spent it. So he's like, all right, all right, just give me the dead donkey then. He's like, oh, the farmer said, what are you going to do with the dead donkey? He said, I'm going to raffle him off. He said, well, how can you raffle a dead donkey? He said, watch me. I'll do it. So a few months later, the farmer bumped into him again and said, what happened with that whole donkey thing? He said, oh, I made a huge profit. He said, it was brilliant. He said, well, how? He said, well, I raffled him off 500 tickets, two pound a ticket for a donkey. I just didn't tell anyone he was dead. <laughs> and he said, well, well surely someone, surely they, people were getting, getting up, got upset with you. He said, like, no, only the guy who won. And he said, well, what happened? He said, well, I just gave him his two quid back. I made 998 pound profit. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, that's a great idea. Where do I find myself? Isabel's like, where do you get dead donkeys? I don't know. <laughs> but that's the reality of how many of us approach finance and money. It's, it's how do we fix this? How do we make this happen in any way possible? And we find it hard to step into heaven's culture of generosity. It's unnatural for us. J. John once said this, some Christians squeeze money so tight they make the queen cry. <laughs> but the problem is, Jesus is calling us. When you sign up to follow Jesus, you sign up to become an extravagant giver. Did, did, did you read that bit of the small print? Before you signed your name, you sign up to become an extravagant giver. And I tell you the reason I know that is because the Bible says that you are being transformed into his image. And who is God? Who is our Father but an extravagant giver? So you and I are reluctantly at times being transformed into extravagant givers, and it doesn't fit naturally. But I want to just talk to you a little bit about my journey, and a journey I believe that every Christian, every believer goes on as they learn and grow in this area. Because you cannot be a mature follower of Christ and not give. This is what Randy Alcon said, I've never seen a mature Christian who is not also a mature, servant, a mature steward of finance. Giving is part of growing. <laughs> Giving is part of growing. It's just part of the journey. And this is the journey that I've uh, gone on and many others have gone on. Three stages to it. Firstly, it's moving from never giving to giving regularly. So I, when I first joined a church, I didn't, I didn't give anything. And I didn't feel guilty about it. I drank the coffee that someone else had paid for. I sat on a seat that someone else had bought. I, I enjoyed the air conditioning that someone was paying on a monthly basis. I listened to the worship band whose electricity was paid for by someone else. And someone else had bought the instruments. The preacher, he'd, someone else had paid him, not me, that's for sure. And I just enjoyed the whole thing. I loved it. It was awesome. It was all free. <laughs> and that was the journey that I went on as I started coming to church. And then I began to hear some teaching which began to make me feel uncomfortable with that position. The coffee just didn't taste as good anymore. <laughs> some of you are about to have the same revelation. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that cup you had earlier. <laughs> the first revelation was this, money is intrinsically linked to spiritual growth. 
The two are tied together. However much we hate that truth, it is absolutely true. And Jesus taught about money almost more than any other subject in his teaching. A few examples. This is what he said in Luke 8. As for those who fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. Giving is a way that frees us spiritually to grow. There's something about giving that's intrinsically linked to our spiritual growth such that, Jesus says, if you don't enter into heaven's culture of giving, if you don't change your mindset, change the way you think, if you don't, you can literally be choked by the very riches that you're surrounding yourselves with. It chokes the growth out of you. It chokes the life out of you. You can see why I got uncomfortable. Sell your possessions and give. Make purses for yourselves and that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 12, verse 33. You think it would be where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But actually Jesus flips it around and says, no, no, where your treasure is, your heart will be. If you genuinely, wholeheartedly want to follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, put your money on me <laughs> and your heart will follow If that really is what you want to do, put your money on me. Because if you don't, wherever your money is, your heart's going to follow that thing. If you want to follow Christ, you've got to invest financially in God's work. It it hits your wallet. And many other things that Jesus said about money. Fundamentally, you come out with the reality of this. that, That goes like this. My money does not belong to me. My money does not belong to me. And it's a shock when you realize that. My money does not belong to me. All this money I'm earning, I'm saving, I'm being given, it doesn't belong to me. I remember I, uh, I raised some money for guide dogs for the blind once. I don't know why I picked guide dogs for the blind. I just liked guide dogs. They're lovely, aren't they? And so I raised some money, 250 pounds, and it was in a little plastic bag, one of those bank bags, on my mantelpiece. I was going to pay it into the bank, but then I was going out that weekend. I was a student, and I was going out. I thought, I haven't got any cash on me. I was like, oh, there's some money in the guide dog's envelope. So I took a tenner out. I thought, oh, I'll write a little IOU because I wanted to be faithful. Put, pop the IOU in the envelope, and there we go. Within two weeks, the guide dogs for the blind bag was filled with IOUs. There was no cash left in it at all. 250 quid had just gone. And I was like, oh, no. Where am I going to get that money from? And then this, this bag of O's was burning a hole in my soul as it sat there. As I looked at it, I wake up in the morning and see it sitting there. Oh, no. And every time I went out shopping, I'd see a guide dog. Like, oh, no, I've got guilt. You poor dog. You're probably not eating or anything. I've stolen from the guide dog. I mean, who steals from guide dogs for the blind? What kind of callous soul can steal money from guide dogs? And that was me. And every money I spent, I felt guilty about because it wasn't my money. It was owed to the guide dogs. But that actually is the reality that we all face. It's not our money. Not that we should live guilty, but we should live with this perspective that actually it's all borrowed. None of it belongs to you and none of it belongs to me. It's borrowed money. We are the scriptures, so we are stewards of God's resources. And one day we're going to have to give an account for how we've spent those resources. What do we do with those resources? Did we just consume them on ourselves? Or did we partner with him to bring something onto earth that exists in heaven? You know, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deals with money. And of the 29 parables Jesus told, 16 deal with a person and his money. Over 50%. It's very, very uncomfortable, and it's getting slightly hot in here. The thing is this, 
The second thing I realized, apart from the fact that money was incredibly spiritual, is the, is the second thing was this. Money reveals whether I joined an organization or a family. You see, Matthew 6, verse 8, Jesus says this, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is inviting us into a family with a father who provides for his kids. And there's a mind shift that goes on there when we realize that. I've been called into a family, not into an organization. Jesus did not come to start an organization. He came to build a family, to invite us into the Father's family. And when you view church, when you view life, when you view your giving through that lens, it changes everything. Because organizations give a service, whereas families serve one another. <laughs> It changes how we approach this stuff. No longer can we feel comfortable with just coming to receive, just coming to take, because we realize I'm part of this family. I want to sign up to be part of a family. I don't just want to join an organization. And the danger with us as we get bigger and bigger is people see it more and more like an organization that provides a service, when in fact we are always to be a family. We are called to be a family. And there's a biblical principle that writes, it says this, in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, Paul writes, each of you is to put something aside and store it up to give as he may prosper. You see, if you were like me, giving nothing or, or maybe every now and again, I, every now and again I'd chuck a tenner in the offering, oh, that'll cover it, won't it? That'll cover the coffee I've drunk. If you're like me, just giving nothing or giving sporadically, I'd urge you to repent. And by that, I mean, don't mean say sorry. You don't have to say sorry to me. I don't even know. Don't say sorry. What I mean is repent means to change your thinking and to recognize, A, money is intensely spiritual. If I want to be a follower of Christ, it's going to hit my bank balance. And B, recognize that I'm part of a family and I want to contribute and I want to give towards that. And that will change your thinking. And perhaps as you do that, this gift day is a brilliant opportunity to, to learn and to start the journey to being, to being a mature follower of Christ in terms of your money. Many of us are mature in many other ways, but are you mature in terms of your money and how you approach finance in your life? And so I'd take a challenge. Take a challenge as part of this gift day. Start to give regularly. As Paul said, every week, every month, set aside something. As, you're, as you are prompted by God, set aside something to give regularly because that is the first step to maturity in the whole area of finances. Take three months up to Christmas, give regularly. See what God does. See what he does in your heart. See what he does to your approach to church and family. See what he does as you take that step. Now, the second step is this, moving from regular giving to tithing. If you've ever been to a Christian party where everyone's in the room and they're all happy, but you feel a bit grumpy, everyone, is that just me? You just feel a bit grumpy and it kind of annoys you that everyone else is happy. And you, you, there's like 10 of you in the room and they're all happy and they're all Christians, they're all happy and you just feel grumpy and you really want everyone to be as grumpy as you feel. I'll tell you what to do, this is brilliant. Just ask this simple question. What does everyone think about tithing? It's genius. What does everyone think about tithing? If you ask that question, what will happen is the atmosphere will darken. It's like a cloud will enter the room. Dark organ music will play in the background. People's moods will drop inexplicably just through that simple question. What does everyone think about tithing? Now, for some of you who don't understand what I even mean by tithing, tithing is this. Tithing means to give the first 10% of your income to God's work out of gratitude 
for what God has done for you and what he has given you. It means to set aside that first 10% that comes in every month to God's work out of gratitude for what he has done to you. And I can see by the look on some of your faces, you're thinking, are you mad? Are you crazy? What have you been smoking, Simon? You must be insane. The first 10%, you must be nuts. I am completely and utterly serious. I have never been more serious before in my life. This is what the Bible teaches about tithing. Firstly, Abraham. He was called the father of our faith, the father of faith. He was a man who God picked out, who chose and said, I will bless you. And as a response, as part of that journey, on one of the stories of Abraham, he gives, after a a battle where he's received some spoils from it, he gives a tithe, the first 10% to God's work, to a priest called Melchizedek. And then there's Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who was a bit of a nightmare of a fellow, but actually he gets something right because when he encounters God as a response, he says to God, if you bless me, I will give you a tithe, the first 10% of all that you give me as a response to your blessing of me. And then there's Moses who comes after both of those guys and actually takes what before was just a principle and turns it into law for the whole people of Israel. And there were actually three uh, tithes that Moses specifies, uh, that God specifies through Moses. Firstly, was one-tenth was to support the priests who did God's work. You see that in Numbers 18. Secondly, was a tenth given to fund religious feasts and festivals. So every year they'd have religious feasts and festivals as a people, they'd gather, and the one-tenth of their income was to be put aside for uh, that purpose. And then every third year, another tenth was to be given, which was to be given to the poor, which if you add all that up, equals 23%. Turn to the person next to you and say, 23%. 23% of their income was given to God's work. I mean, when I realized this, I started freaking out. And, and you know what? These tithes weren't even optional. They were commanded by God. They were commanded by God as part of being one of his people. Probably the most famous verses about tithing, though, occur much, much later when the people of Israel, who had got out of the habit of tithing, I mean, who, blame, who can blame them, they got out of the habit of giving 23%, and this is what God says to them in Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there might be food in my house, And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you may not destroy, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So that's what it says in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible about tithing. But fortunately, there are some Christians who say, hang on, hold, stop, wait. Those guys were all Jews. They were under the law. We are not under the law. This is exactly what Romans 6 verse 14 says. You are not under the law, but you are under the grace. Are you telling me, Simon, I don't have to tithe? You don't, you're free. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You don't have to tithe, you don't have to give a penny, you're not under the law like those guys were. They were commanded, they had to give it. We don't because we're under grace, we're free. (laughs) But, 
The question that you have to ask yourself is, why don't you want to? Why don't you want to? Why don't I want to? Because this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass on the law until all is accomplished. You have heard what it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You start to understand what grace was about. Jesus says not a dot will pass away until the law has achieved its intent. What was the intent of the law? It was to transform people's hearts but it could never do it. And so grace came, the free gift of God in Christ came for you and I to do what? To do what the law could never do, change my heart. So that now no longer is it not okay to murder. That was never just the the problem. The problem was the evil, the hatred in our hearts. And Jesus says, grace is coming to take it away, to transform your heart from the inside out. No longer was it a problem with just not committing adultery. It's about the lust that's in our hearts. And grace comes to change our hearts from the inside out, not just so that we don't do the outside stuff, but so we don't live from the inside stuff. And it's the same in giving. If these guys gave 20, let's, let's call it 10%, okay, because 23 is just outrageous. Let's say 10%. If these guys gave 10% because they had to, the question for us is, how much more under grace should we want to give? How much more should we want to give? How much more should our hearts have aligned with heaven and say, Father, we want to be extravagant givers like you are. And 10% is just the start, just the beginning of a lifestyle of generous giving. Do you have to tithe? No. And yes, it's confusing, I know. You don't have to, but why don't you want to? Because if you've really understood the grace of God, if you've really understood what he's inviting you into, if we've really understood that he's calling us to become generous like him, to be trusted with resources so that we just give it away and bless, 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 bless with everything we're given, suddenly, do Christians have to tithe or not tithe? becomes a redundant question. We leave tithing far behind because we are so lost to all the stuff that would cling to our souls. And we so say, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like him and be an extravagant giver. And this is the journey that the Lord has taken myself and Caroline on. As we've begun on this journey, we've begun to understand grace, that as we partner with God in this, and we give 10% away as a baseline of our giving, before tax, before the government, I don't want the government to be first, before tax, 10% away, because I want God first in my life. And tithing does an amazing thing because when you realize that I'm giving God first, 10%, that I give that to him as an offering, firstly it says, God, I recognize that you are my source that all this comes from you. And secondly, it says this, God, I trust you that you will provide so that where I struggle to meet, to live on 100% before, I'm trusting that you will provide such that I can live on 90%. It's a trust journey and it has been phenomenal for us. And our journey is that money goes out each month as we recognize that God is changing us. This is what God said to Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. There is a blessing in the first tenth. There is a blessing there for you and I if we will have it. Do you have to? No, but who doesn't want it? If you will have it, there is a blessing there that God promises out of your business, out of your personal finances, there is a blessing there. If you say, God, this first tenth, it belongs to you. That's, that's why the, the money from the, the first book that I wrote, it, I, I, just, I gave it to the church. Why? Because it's the first fruits. It's the first thing that I've done in that area. I'm sure there'll be others to come and I'll decide then what I do with that. But the first thing, it's got to go to God because it's recognizing you are my source and all this comes from you. And this is the spirit of someone who's learning the journey of becoming an extravagant giver. And the question you might have is, Simon, I'm, we're even struggling to live on 90%, or 100%. How can we live on 90%? I would say, take the tithing challenge. God says, test, this is not about me. I won't even know. I will not even know. But take the tithing challenge. God says, test me. So it's the only time in Scripture he ever says, test me. He, you are not allowed to test God. It's wrong. But apart from this one, he says, test me. So take the challenge. So, okay, God, I'm going to tithe for the next three months. Let's see where we are by Christmas and see what happens. I'd love to hear your stories on that adventure. You see, it's not about getting uptight. We get so uptight about money. Anyone else? We get so uptight about money. This is about entering into an adventure. And it's saying, God is coming to your father and saying, I want to be an extravagant giver. Take me on the journey. Take me on the next step for me of this journey to become an extravagant giver. And I know some of your circumstances are complicated and husbands or wives who aren't believers and what do you do with all of that? Listen, it's not about the detail. It's about a heart before God that says, Father, I want to be an extravagant. I want to be like my dad. I want to do what my dad does. I want to live like him and he will work out the details for your specific circumstance. Third area of this journey. No, that's enough. I've finished on number two. Third area is moving from tithing to extravagant giving. This is what 2 Corinthians 8 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. There's something about recognizing that the type of person I want to become is like Christ. I want to be an extravagant giver. I want to be one who God can trust with resources because I just give it away. You know what Rockefeller said, one of the richest men in history, he said, I would never have been able to write my first tithe check for a million dollars if I'd have not tithed off my first salary, He was one of the first men to write a million dollar tithe check. He said, I'd never have written it if I hadn't started when it was small. The journey to become an extravagant giver isn't about big amounts of money. It's about the proportion that you're saying, Lord, help me become who you want me to be. And there's something about this when you recognize, Randy Alcon said this, when you look at money as only money and not in the light of its impact on eternity, we walk with a very cloudy and short-sighted vision. Money is linked to spirituality. Jesus made the point over and over again. We like to separate it. No, no, that's my money. That's my church thing. No, no, no. The two are linked together. And Jesus made that point over and over again. I remember our first gift day offering. And uh, we, we were, 
I'd said, let's go for 10 grand, because that's all I had faith for. And Royden was like, no, let's go for 200 grand. We need about 2 million quid. 10 grand's not going to get us there. I was like, yeah, good point. So we made for this offering of 200,000. And we, Caroline and I, we had no money at all. No money. We had nothing left in the tank after the month was over. And uh, so we thought, well, what are we going to do? I can't stand up and say to everyone, give, give. And by the way, we're giving nothing. I mean, it's just, I just can't do that sort of thing. So, um, so we said, right, we just ransacked our budget. I mean, we just went through every line of our budget. Where can we save? Caroline stopped wearing contact lenses for three years because we were like, well, that's 20 quid a month right there. I took on another job. Caroline started baking cakes. for a, We just, anything we could do to earn money for this, uh, for this gift day, we did. And, and you know what? It was just an amazing time of spiritual growth as something changed in my... I was, up until that point, I was so uptight about money and the month and all of that. And something shifted in that journey as we said, God, we want to be extravagant, even with the little that we've got. I'm sure some people gave 10, 20 times what we gave, but what we gave meant so much to us because it came from our hearts. And so many others did the same thing on that journey. It was a phenomenal time. And I remember right before the offering, the target was 200,000. And one of our prophetic guys had a dream. And in the dream, he, he saw a check for 146,000 pounds. And he emailed me two weeks before. So I've got the evidence in writing that he'd seen this thing. And I was so excited about it because he said, I think it means we're going to get a good chunk towards the way, uh, you know, what we're going for. It was brilliant. And on the day, the money came in. In fact, we had a phenomenal uh, offering. We got over 200,000, 242,000, I think it was, in total. But to me, actually, the total was less significant than this dream about the check because what came in on the day in cash and checks, not pledges that went out for the future, but in the, on the day in cash and checks was 146,343 pounds. The dream, in the dream was 146,000. It was 146, 343. And something happened in my spirit because I realized only God could predict that total. Out of 200 people giving random bits of money, only God could predict that total. And I knew, he is in this. He is in this. And of course, we rebuked our friend for being a false prophet because he got the last three digits wrong. <laughs> No, he said actually, I'm just joking, but he said afterwards, he said, he said the last three digits were very blurry. He said, <laughs> we knew God is in this. And I want you, as I have and many others have, to get to that place in your finances where you know God is in this. That's, that's where we started. We come into this world, I'm on my own. But the journey of maturity gets to the point where we realize God is in this. He is with me. My father is with me on this adventure. Money is no longer, I think, I'll be honest, on this last one, I'm like, you know, I'm like a, a misfiring engine. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, yes, God is in this. I'm like, I'm on my own. So I do both ways. But it's that maturity recognizes that as we, as we grow in our giving, as we become extravagant givers, we realize God is partnering. I am partnering with God on what he is doing. And it becomes such an exciting adventure. 2 Corinthians 9 sums up our giving. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each man one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's what Paul describes as a mature believer in their approach to finances. And I want just to read you as I close this quote from Stephen King. Now, Stephen King's not a well-known Christian. <laughs> In fact, he's not a Christian at all. He writes horror books and movies. 
But this is what he writes about his revelation, which so spoke to me, it's so profound. A couple of years ago, I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road, covered with mud and blood, and with the tibia of my right leg poking out through the sides of my jeans, like a branch of a tree taken down by a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch covered in blood and broken glass on your hair, no one seems to accept MasterCard. On that particular day, and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we'll go out just as broke. Warren Buffett, he's going to be broke. Bill Gates, he's going out broke. Tom Hanks, he's going out broke. Stephen King, broke. Not a crying dime will make any difference. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of it is mostly smoke and mirrors. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong with the only three things that you can really call your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help the power to change. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back where it belongs, on the lives that we lead, the families we raise, the communities that nurture us. A life of giving, not just money, but time and spirit, repays. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you've got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. <laughs> That's Stephen King! <laughs> oh my gosh! He's got it! He's got it! Let's be a community of extravagant, radical givers, just like our dad. Amen?